In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text for today is the Gospel reading, which I've already read. You may be seated. Christianity is a religion that is meant for all times and all places and all people. It's just as possible to be a Christian in the United States in 2020 as it was in Stalinist Russia or even in Nero's Rome. No one is ever in a situation where he must do something that is unchristian. Christ's kingdom is not of this world but it is an invisible and heavenly kingdom. It doesn't seek to overthrow the kingdoms of the earth, but no earthly kingdom can overthrow it. Christ can rule his Christians under a king, under a dictatorship, or even in a constitutional republic like ours. Now, although this is true, It cannot be denied that we enjoy many more liberties than our brothers and sisters in other times and places. And we give thanks to God for the men and women who have sacrificed themselves in order to preserve that liberty for us. Although we could be Christians in, say, communist China today, just as well as we are here, we have some real advantages here that we don't have, that our brothers and sisters don't have in other places, and we ought to consider those as blessings from our God's own hand. We don't have to worry, for instance, that our government is going to try to rewrite the Bible or pick who our church leaders are or try to send us to re-education camps when our thoughts do not conform to the prevailing orthodoxy of the party. So this brings us then to the question that is placed before our Lord Jesus. With our kingdom being a heavenly kingdom, an invisible one, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus' answer is an often quoted line from the New Testament, and I'm guessing that many people who aren't even really familiar with the New Testament teachings know this line. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. This command of Jesus, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, on its face may not seem like it's written for us. We don't have a single ruler like a Caesar or a king or anything like that in our country. On its face... It seems like maybe we can just pass this one by as sort of an antique of history, sort of like not being allowed to eat pork and shellfish in the Old Testament. But that kind of reading isn't really very honest. It's like saying that the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, only applies to those who are married. Of course, God wants everyone to live chaste and decent lives in what we say and do, regardless of whether or not we are married. And so, Christ's command here concerns all of us, whether we are under a king or live in a republic. So to fully understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to know this about the situation on the ground in Matthew 22. The Jews thought that when the Messiah would come, he would not only kick out their Roman overlords and restore 
Jerusalem as sort of the capital of their kingdom, but that he would also make the, the kingdoms of the earth subject to the Jews. So when the Jews tried to trap Jesus in his words with this question, the thinking was a little bit like this. If Jesus says they should not pay taxes, they could accuse him of rebellion, which was a crime that he could be executed for, and they would be rid of him. Problem solved. If he said yes, however, then that clearly would indicate to the people that they that he was not the Messiah and he would be utterly discredited. This really is a clever trap that the Pharisees and the Herodians have laid for Jesus. And he knows exactly how to spring this trap the right way. Because he is the rightful Messiah. This means that Jesus is not going to go back and undo everything that was said and done in the Old Testament. God has established earthly authority over men. St. Paul in the New Testament says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God puts this authority in place for our good, and without authority no one would be safe. In fact, if you look at the news at all, you see the consequences of crumbling authority all around us. If you look at some of the major cities in this country, Seattle or Portland, Chicago, Washington, D.C., in all of those places, the authorities that God has established to safeguard the peace are breaking down into utter chaos. I saw footage last night as I was writing this sermon that that there were families who were with their children. They were walking home from dinner in Washington, D.C. last night, and they were being harassed and, and assaulted by the protesters in that city. I saw in one restaurant, in fact, a, a protester had thrown a, a firework into the crowd as people were sitting there. It was just astonishing to see. If we wish to live as Christians... We have to live according to the word of God. That is a non-negotiable point. And so we must render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. We must obey the governing authorities. They are put into place for our good. As St. Paul says, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now this brings us to the second word that Jesus says to us, render to God the things that are God's. These words show us that there is more to being a Christian than simply obeying the authorities that God has placed over us. It goes much further than that. Truth be told, this is the problem with so many Christians when we wring our hands over questions of religious liberty. On the one hand, we should Give thanks to God on a daily basis that we are allowed to openly worship and practice our faith here. But on the other hand, if that constitutionally guaranteed right were suddenly to evaporate and we were strictly forbidden by the government to gather in worship, or if we were told somehow that we must curtail what we say and do with regards to our faith, if that were to go away, 
we would still be strictly commanded by God to gather together, to hear the word of God, and to receive the sacraments. That does not change. So what exactly is God's that we should render back to him? Well, in short, it's everything. Everything that we are and have belongs to God. Our bodies, our souls, our hearts, our lives, our abilities, our possessions, our joys, our children. Everything that we have and everything that we are belongs to our God. He is the creator of all things. He is the Lord of all and he is the source of everything. Everything comes from him and in the end, everything will return back to him. Have you given to God what is God's? For whom do you live? Do you live for yourself or do you live for God? Whom do you serve? Who is your master? Do you actually try to use every hour of your life to honor God? Is there anything that is more important in this life than what God says and does for you? Now, it's easy to sit and, and think through those questions that I've asked and know what the right answer is from a Christian standpoint. Of course, we want to live for God. Of course, we want to serve him. Of course, we seek to honor him in what we do. But I want you to look at this from a practical standpoint. What gets in the way of you doing these things? How often do obligations take you away, away from gathering for Sunday morning worship? When you got the call this week that the service here was going to be available by live stream only, did a small part of you say, well, I can sleep in a little bit longer and just watch it later on? Or I could sleep in and not feel guilty about it at all. What does the Bible say about who we are? Well, it tells us that we are naturally inclined towards living for ourselves. It tells us that every person is born hating God. It tells us that every person's desires are fundamentally against what God says. That our wanters are out of whack. St. Paul writes, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Later on, in Ephesians chapter 2, he writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, by nature, before God acts on us, we are no different from the unbelieving world. And this is why we are in a constant battle against our own flesh when it comes to our desires towards God. And so, 
What if Caesar were to come to us and say to us, you can't worship here because right now it's too dangerous? Does that mean our obligation to render to Caesar suddenly overrules our obligation to render to God what belongs to him? I admit, there's quite a bit of irony in the fact that this text was assigned for today and that we're not gathered in person. And I pray that you don't see me as a hypocrite, seeming to say one thing but doing another thing. There is some room for us to exercise some caution as we try to continue to navigate this pandemic. I joked with one of you this week that I wasn't going to live my life in fear of this thing, but that also didn't mean that I was going to go and lick every single doorknob that I came across. My beloved wife is sick, it's true. We give thanks to God that it hasn't been much more than a fever and a loss of taste and smell. If you're sick, you should stay home. That's just good common sense care for the body and even care for your neighbor. Unfortunately for us, when the plague comes to the parsonage, well, that means that we all have to stay home because I have to be here. But that is far different from a sweeping de declaration that because there are some people who are sick, we should shut down everything, including churches. Your friends in Christ, that is not only unlawful according to the authority that God has established through our constitution in this nation, but it is also immoral to the highest degree. We learn in the Lord's Prayer that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. This means that anything that would stop us from gathering here is demonic. This disease that my wife has is demonic. There is no question. If someone were to say to us from the government, you cannot gather here, that is demonic. When our quarantine is up, what will be the state of our state and of our county? Will we find ourselves in a return to February, March, and April? And if so, what will we say then? Listen, I long ago suspected that it was only a matter of time before someone in my house got the coronavirus. And now it has finally happened. However, this does not change what I've been saying to you from God's word during this whole time. We cannot fear God and the virus at the same time. To ascribe fear to the virus is to put it higher on our list of priorities than God. Yes, the virus can kill the body. It has killed some people. But it cannot destroy both body and soul in hell. Only God can do that. People loved by God. You must decide how we will navigate this. If we wish to render to God what is his, then we actually have to come before him. We must leave everything, the world, ourselves, and give everything completely over to him. Why? Because you belong to him.
Do you remember that coin that Jesus spoke of in our text? He asked, whose likeness and inscription are on the coin? And of course, it was Caesar's. The coin for the tax belonged to Caesar. It was even stamped with his face and with his inscription. But you, dear Christian, you belong to God. You have been stamped with his image and likeness. This is how God created you. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You bear the inscription of God. In the waters of holy baptism, God marked you with the sign of the cross both on your forehead and upon your heart, and he put his name, his inscription, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit upon you. You bear the likeness and inscription of the most holy God. You belong to him, so let us not withhold from him what is his. Let us tear ourselves away from whatever hinders us from rendering our lives back to God, whether it's Sunday travel sports or fear of a virus or government mandates. Those things don't have anything to say about what we do here because you belong to God. You belong to the God who took on your image and your inscription. You belong to Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He bore your image, and he took on your sin, your inscription, if you will, in order that he would bring you back to himself. In Jesus' name, amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.